Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special uh, discussion. I'm uh, surrounded by some paleo people. We're going to be doing this is the third video in response to Bill Cornelius of Church Unlimited and his various claims that if you don't understand the science, then that means that God did it. And uh, joining me for this live critique of that for third video is a panel of paleontologists. Nick Brand, who's known as Attila the One on YouTube, is a paleo student seeking a master's degree in East Tennessee University. Danielle Erickson is a fossil exhibit guide at the Moat Marine Aquarium in Venice, Florida. Bill Ludlow teaches human origins at the Arizona Museum of Natural History. And Dr. Donald Prothero is the famous research associate in vertebrate paleontology at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Good to see you. Hello. <laughs> howdy, howdy. All right. Now, does anybody want to say anything before we get started or we just want to jump into it? I, I'd like to say that, you know, I've said for years now that creationists come up with nothing new. And this guy proved me wrong because his arguments are some of the most original, but some of the worst that I've ever seen. So that was the impression that I got when he described what evolution, what he thinks evolution is. I, I, I lost it. That was the dumbest explanation I've ever heard from anybody. And, that, and that's saying something when you've got a 20-year uh, a 20-year career in anti-theism yeah. activism. All right. I learned so, a few things. <laughs> what did you learn? Um, we'll get to it, but it has to deal with the moon landing. Okay. All right. So I'm going to. I've not seen this yet, so I'm going to be going cold here. Ooh. I'm going to get this thing started. I'm going to start up that video, and we'll all listen in. Hold on. Hey, thanks again for joining us. I want to say hi to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys. We love you guys. Grateful for you. This Proof of God series has been a lot of fun to go through, and i got to be honest, it's pretty cerebral information, so I know that some people are like, whoa, this is some heavy stuff, and there's a little bit more of that today, but we're going to get through it together. I think you're going to like this because I'm giving you – I want to today give you tools you can use when you're talking to someone about your faith when they bring up science because I, I find that they say the same things over and over again. So I've just kind of learned how to deal with that and how to really bring new information to them, and so that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. Last – when we started the series two weeks ago – we, we talked about the Big Bang Theory and how that points to a God and, and that God must have started off the universe. And then last week we debunked evolution, which is really the only alternative to a God uh, being the founder and the creator of the world. And so we debunked that last week. And today I'd like to give what I believe is my favorite, most compelling evidence that I have seen recently in science. There's always new discoveries, but this is something that's been recent in the last 30 years that's been discovered in the entire grouping of this particular science proves there's a God. I mean, the whole thing does. And so please pull out your notes if you want to dive right into that. Then what I want to do is answer some typical objections that people give. And so it's going to be kind of pieced together a little bit today. That's why today's message is called Final Conclusions on the Proof of God. And so I want to try to give you some help when you're when you're being asked those questions by your favorite family member this this uh, Thanksgiving about, well, I don't believe there's God because of blah, 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 blah. I want to give you some answers to those things, okay? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But the first thing I want to talk about is a whole group of science that's been called, that's called biodiversity. And so let me just give you the point. Number one, through the study of biodiversity, it has been proven over and over again that life systems function together, which requires a master planner. So I just want to dive right in and just talk about biodiversity and what that means okay first of all i almost forgot some of you guys looking at me like he didn't say it he didn't do it what's our mission as a church to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die period 
Thank you for reminding me. I saw those stairs, and so I don't want to get in trouble. Yes, that's what we're all about. Biodiversity is interesting because biodiversity basically speaks of the symbiotic relationship between all of science, between all of our ecosystem. Ecology is a part of biodiversity. There's so many layers of it. But let me give you a real simple picture of biodiversity, which proves that there must be a God. Let me just show you this picture real quick on the screen. There's a picture of man and a plant, and this is the most basic of biodiversity right here. But just real simple. When you breathe in, what do you breathe in? You breathe in oxygen. Then what do you breathe out? Carbon dioxide. Then plants breathe in what? Carbon dioxide. What do they breathe out? Oxygen. So if a plant didn't exist, could man live? No. If man yeah. didn't exist, could plants live? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of algae? Ugh. So yes. stupid. <laughs> Carbon cycle. Yeah, this is this is uh, uh we have four billion years of plants on the planet that didn't have humans needed to get them going. Plants can do just fine without us. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and and is is this what the word biodiversity means? No, it has no connection to biodiversity. <laughs> at all. Would one of you like to explain what biodiversity means? Biodiversity is the total number of species in an area at a given time, or the total number of species on the planet. It's a counting of total number of species. It has nothing to do with the carbon cycle other than the carbon cycles basic to biology. Uh, and I thought, well, where is he going with biodiversity? It has nothing to do at all with his argument. And, of course, he doesn't know what it means. <laughs> and, of course, he doesn't know what it means, which if you'd seen the other videos, it, it, it is kind of stunning how much this guy doesn't know, but how confident he is yeah. about what he doesn't know that he doesn't know. And fast talker, too, yeah. Bullshit artist? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, you, have to, you kind of have to be in order to be a pastor, I think. I haven't actually decided that this guy knows – that he doesn't know it, or if he actually thinks that he knows it yet, and that really bothers me. Yeah, well, he he's using uh, as his primary reference almost entirely. He's using uh, "I don't have enough faith to be an atheist" by Frank Turek. Oh, hmm. yeah. So, so that's that's why he sounds so lost. I forgot my pillow for the face palms. <laughs> <laughs> you just need some strong alcohol. <laughs> All right. So I don't gonna- have any. All right, we're going to try this again. Uh, let me let me jump into this. They both need each other. So here's my question. How can, over time, if we're supposedly come from tadpoles and developed into human life, how could we have developed this need for plants all along, and they had to develop slowly too, and they were meeting a need that we had, and we're meeting a need they had? That's not possible unless it all started up at the same time. Okay, anybody want to address that? Yeah, that's all about important. embryology. Well, the, the basic thing is that we have a fossil record going back three and a half billion years, of which 80% is nothing more complicated than photosynthetic life, first bacteria, and then algae. And at no time was anything on the other part of the loop. No animal life was required. We don't have any strong evidence of anything using it as anaerobic or animal life until no sooner than about 1.8 billion years ago. Uh, so plants were around for most of life's history without anything that was aerobic, like an animal that required to complete the loop. And then, as I understand it, wasn't there also an extinction event of the anaerobic organisms once once uh, cyanobacteria and plants started producing so much oxygen that it, it started to right. the ocean? Right. The basic idea is when we see evidence from the rock record that oxygen has taken over the atmosphere, the first evidence that's around 2.2 billion years old, uh, the only forms of life that were around before that would have been anaerobic bacteria and cyanobacteria. And the anaerobic bacteria would have hidden into places like they are now, which is stagnant lakes and stagnant bottom of the ocean, other places that are oxygen-free. 
And then aerobic organisms would have taken over the planet as oxygen reaches the crucial level they can live with. Okay, continuing on. How can there be a symbiotic relationship between anything that needs to exist if you don't have it already fully formed at the very beginning? This is like creating an engine and then saying, well, then 100 years from now, we'll create gasoline. We'll just expect the engine to run without gasoline until then. It doesn't work like that. Duh. <laughs> yeah. oh, right. That's why it doesn't oh. work like that. <laughs> I I don't think he understands quite what symbiosis is at all. No, um, no, he no, seems to think that like if you don't have these relationships, the animals just die. Like yeah. it, it, it's not that it doesn't it doesn't work that way. A lot of <laughs> no, these are uh, some of a lot of these are convenience things, and it's like yeah, I could have a buddy and we study together, right? But if he if we split our separate ways. I can still study on my own. I don't like rely just because you use something to help you doesn't mean you're going to die without it. And I, I don't think he's grasped for that concept yet. Yeah. The, the, the very strict definition of symbiosis is that these organisms actually depend upon each other and cannot live without each other. All right. And what he's okay. talking about is a, a biogeochemical cycle, which can work without uh, certain organisms. It just works with whatever's available. So when they, when they talk about the way the plants pollinate, like plants need the, the insects to pollinate them, like as if the plants couldn't pollinate without insects. We know that plants were using the wind to pollinate before right. insects proved yeah. more efficient. And uh, non-flowering plants like conifers don't use that pollinators at all because they are entirely wind pollinated. That's what a pine cone is for. Well, I was just explaining how, how a symbiotic relationship can be established by things that that don't that didn't start out that way and don't right. necessarily have to always be that way. That's right. But in, uh, continuing. Man can't live without plants. Plants can't live without humans. They both need each other. That's just have plants ever lived without humans? Yes. Only only for four and a half billion years they have. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I have to I have to tell everybody that I did not watch this video before. I sent the link to the, to the rest of you so that the others could watch it if you wanted to, but oh boy, I haven't seen it. So I mean, this is stuff my sixth grader knows. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And and please, when when you, I'm gonna I'm trying not to interrupt myself. I want you guys to say, oh whoa whoa whoa, you know whatever you need. And okay. I'll stop it. Okay. All right, continuing. Just one example. Let me give you a few more. Um, how about this one? Uh, plants also need fungus. Most people know this, but fungus is a requirement. Now, hopefully it's not between your toes, but you do need fungus. Well. Fungus because basically. Was that, was that well, you something? There, you can have decomposers without fungus. The first bacterial yeah. cultures had their own decomposers. Uh, and then so you don't need a fungus to have the decomposer in the ecological loop either. Okay. And I would rather not have fungus on my body right now. Yeah. <laughs> He's thinking of the entirely the wrong kind of fungus there. <laughs> Continuing on. The way you say it is you have to have the right moisture, which is a nice way of saying fungus, right? So you can have plant life. Also, did you know the spongy coral is needed by fish and fish are uh, is needed by spongy coral? They need each other as well. Did you know that that without uh, the, the uh, coral in the ocean, the fish would create too much nitrogen in the water and it would actually kill them? And so the uh, coral. Nope. Yeah, that isn't how no, it works. No, 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 no. No one told the freshwater fish. Corals are not nitrogen regulators. They are plants and animals symbiotically, so they have their own internal system, but they don't, uh, they're not required to handle nitrogen. That's too big of a system for that. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Oh, man. I don't know. This is so bizarre. It is no, I can't see any science book saying any of these things. They must have fished this out of some weird cult book or something like that. Now, when I when I saw the first two videos that this guy did, I I, I called his office and tried to arrange a private meeting. with the, well, I, Not a private meeting. I, I tried to arrange an on-camera interview where I could correct a handful of these things. But he refused. His handler said he wouldn't be interested in that. No, he doesn't want to learn anything. <laughs> he doesn't want to be proven wrong, that's for sure. He's, he's paid to maintain a fantasy, and that's what he's going to do. So he has 10,000 people in his congregation. That's what he brags about on his website. And, and that bothers me, that he can say something that dumb, that I knew better than when I began elementary school. Yeah. Okay. Well, it just speaks to the sad state of science and literacy in this country. It, yes, yeah. it does. I'm, I'm continuing on. Actually helps control the nitrogen, which balances out the ecosystem of the oceans. So fish need the spongy stuff. The spongy stuff need the fish. They both need each other. All of this comes together. And so it, it balances out the ocean. This is one of the coolest um, symbiotic relationships that they found inside the ocean, by the way. And again, there's so many layers of this. I can't even add them all up. But let me just give you another example of this. Did you know that eels require cleaner shrimp. They call them cleaner shrimp, the shrimp that clean the teeth and the body of an eel. And these shrimp actually hang out, it's kind of a gross shot, I know, but that's what they do. They crawl into the mouth of the eel. Look at the sharp teeth. If I'm him, I'm not crawling in. I'm thinking, no, uh, this is not going to be good, right? I don't want to be lumped. Did you want me to stop? Yeah, more <laughs> eels. Yeah, more eels do have cleaner shrimp on them, but they're not required to have it. There are many places where mores have no mm -hmm. cleaner shrimp. The cleaner shrimp is dependent on the moray. That's the only place he's right. Yeah. Right. I would I would request that this dude look up the aquarium hobby and check out all the people who keep eels and don't actually keep a cleaner shrimp in with them. Yeah. Right. They would beg to differ with his um his flawed <laughs> worldview here. Uh, yes. Danielle, you work in an aquarium. Uh, right. And I was actually asking the um the the aquarists who take care of specifically our moray eel on display. And they're like, yeah, no, this does not require a cleaner shrimp. Um, <laughs> our particular moray eel has a penchant for eating the cleaner shrimp when they try to put them in the tank. Oh, but he just <laughs> said that that doesn't happen. <laughs> well, he needs, he needs to come visit the aquarium. Um, uh, okay. Continuing I, on. There's Wait, also we cleaner are... fish. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to interrupt uh, when we start, but I, when when you guys want to say something, please say audibly some kind of interruption, and I'll stop it. Okay. But actually, they know internally that this is what they are to do. Now think about this: these these creations don't have the minds that we have, but yet they have this built-in knowledge that they're not going to be eaten when they crawl into the mouth of this sharp-toothed, you know, fish. Because our job is to clean. The teeth of this eel, that's what they do, and that's how they eat. They eat the food in between the teeth, and it also takes away the bacteria that would ultimately kill the eel if they didn't do this. So they are fed by the food from the eel. The eel keeps alive because they clean the teeth and therefore the bacteria off of the eel. They also climb all over the body of the eel as well. These cleaner shrimp, if you study this, actually hang out in a cleaner shrimp station. They all have it. They group together, and these eel pull up like a car wash. I kid you not. <laughs> and then these shrimp crawl That's over. That's what I've heard. Um. <laughs> okay, so everything you said up to this point is wrong. 
Yeah, hasn't had a right back yet. I mean, he could be pointing to some very interesting symbiotic relationships that are obligatory and do sort of uh, puzzle us as how they are put together. But this is the worst possible one he could have picked. I like how he says, if you study this. Which he hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we are only six minutes into this. So I'm gonna yeah, we're never going to finish at this rate. You're right. <laughs> We're going to try to let him complete an argument and then and then rebut it if we can get that far. Okay. Add skin off of it as well as clean their teeth and then go about their way. This is what they do. They protect the shrimp as well. And so talk about a symbiotic example. This is amazing. So there would be no eel without this because the bacteria would have killed them. There, would, there wouldn't even have the species any longer. It wouldn't fit these cleaner shrimp. By the way, this also begs the question, if God can create some kind of system that takes care of the basic needs of an eel's teeth. And don't you think God can take care of you and whatever you're dealing with right now? No. If God can so balance everything out that he can take care of the birds of the air, then can't he take care of whatever you are dealing with today? God loves you. No, he doesn't. He has got you. No, he doesn't. He will take care of you. No, he doesn't. You can trust no. him more. Isn't that good to know that? That's all I really need to hear. That's what they're there for. I'll give you some quotes yeah. about this. Dean Overman is a scientist. He wrote a book called The Case Against Accident and Self-Organization. Okay, hold on. What? So, somebody identified as a scientist who wrote The Case Against Accident. What was the name? Bill Overton? Dean Overman. Dean Overman. Is that an actual scientist? Or no. Is that, or is that a creationist? I, I looked him up. He is a partner at a law firm, and he wrote a book. <laughs> oh, wow. The end. About normal. No, no scientific expertise, whatever. He taught a finance course, but no science. <laughs> According to his not... own website, he's not a scientist. So outstanding. Okay, of course. Wow. <laughs> All right. So continuing on. That's another way of saying a case for God that there must be a God. He says this: for life to persist. Living creatures must have a means of taking in and biochemically processing food. Life also requires oxygen, which must be distributed to all tissues for single-celled life. Oxygen must effectively and safely be moved around inside the cell membrane to where it is needed without damaging the cell. Without complex mechanisms to achieve these tasks, life cannot exist. The parts could not evolve separately and could not even exist independently for very long because, you, because they would break down in the environment without protection. What was that? It's all bullshit, of course, because we had two billion years with no oxygen. Yep. And, uh, the only life around then was anaerobic, and that's not much of a fancy pyramid like he's talking about there. Now, I've heard, as I said, I haven't actually seen it, but I've heard that he gets to that here shortly. Okay. Plant, plant needs man. They couldn't exist apart from each other. So how did they develop slowly over time separately? And eventually need each other? Doesn't make sense. Dr. Henry Zuhl put it this way. He's a scientist. He said, how could... Hold on. Who's Dr. Henry Zuhl? That, that sounds like a fancy science fiction name. <laughs> sounds like something my refrigerator yelled at me one day. That's right. <laughs> There's actually a dinosaur named after Zuhl, Zuhl. character in Ghostbusters. <laughs> Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna listen. We'll have to look up Henry Henry's. Somebody look up while we're doing this. Look, because I can, uh, I, I'm sharing my screen. So somebody look up Henry, whatever his name. All is. I see is I uh, somebody from Ancestry.com. He's a genealogist. Or something <laughs> <here>. <laughs> I'm 
That's the same I, thing I'm getting. Yeah, I'm also like getting a. I'm also <laughs> getting a um like a a funeral thing. Um, I forgot what they're called. A funeral Announce- thing. Announcement of death. There we go. Okay. I would All like right. to point well, out that this Dr. Henry Zuel quote does a Bible verse in his quote. So um, yeah. I think we're yeah. getting a little bit away from the realm of science there. Yeah. If yeah. he's really yeah. a doctor, that might be another question. <laughs> yeah, and we're almost eight minutes into this video. He's a kid. He's listed on creation.com. <laughs> Henry Zuel is on creation.com. There's your answer. Yeah. Of yeah. course. All they right. all quote themselves over and over again. All right. Continuing. Organisms have once lived independently of services they now require. Systems of living things supporting each other, the modus operandi of biodiversity is exactly what we would expect to find from the creator who said, give and it shall be given unto you. How amazing is that? Science just proved that God had to create it all at once for it to run like a machine together. This is proof of God. No, it's It's not. not. (laughs) (laughs) Ignorance, the arguments from ignorance and incredulity are logical fallacies, not evidence. All right, continuing. From science. God's real. And there's a proof right in front of you. Somebody needs to get excited that we can have faith and know that God is real and the science proves it. But if you have faith, then you don't know that God is real. Not when you know something, you can demonstrate that knowledge. You can show what you know. Faith is when you pretend to know what you don't know. Yep. Sorry, I'm, I keep interrupting. And I, I, I said I was. <laughs> you can't help yourself. God proves it. Now, here's what I want to do. The next three points I want to give are essentially things that people ask me when I talk to uh, talking about my faith. And like if I'm man on the street talking to someone about faith, they'll say, well, I kind of have some issues with faith because because I believe in science. And I said, well, let's talk about that. And then I bring up biodiversity a lot of times. It's one of my go-tos because it's such a simple thing that anyone can understand. But then I'll- Then why don't you? <laughs> that would be hard. <laughs> say, well, what does the Bible say? And these are just random things that I want to just kind of throw in just so you know there are answers to it. Well, well what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? Oh, well, let's talk about dinosaurs. Oh, no. Well, you know, we know there's dinosaurs. The Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs. Therefore, the Bible's not accurate. Actually, the Bible does talk about dinosaurs. It talks about dinosaurs in the oldest chronological book in the Bible, which is the book of Job. And, of course, in the book of Job, it gives a description of Leviathan in which yeah. perfectly describes a Nile crocodile. It rather eloquently describes a Nile crocodile, except it depends on where you read it, because in one passage, it's more fanciful and it breathes fire. But in the other passage, it's <laughs> definitely talking about a crocodile. So we're, 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 yeah. we seem to be That's making- a composite of two different sources. So they, it's been thrown together from sources that didn't describe the same thing. Yeah. And I know he's going to mention behemoth in a moment, which, which, I understand to be an elephant because yeah, most, of it, most of what it seems to have is elephant-like. Yeah, yeah. Especially as far as it can be rendered as a real animal. Yeah, especially the part that that says that that it has a nose that pierceth snares. I can't think of anything else that has a nose that pierces snares. Not a horn on the nose, but a nose that yeah. does. It. Yeah. All right. So if it's, a, if it's a real thing at all, which is questionable. Yeah. All right. Read this to you, Job chapter forty, verse fifteen. Take a look at behemoth, which I made just as, as I made you. It eats grass like an ox, 
Teeth is pow teeth powerful loins and the muscles of its belly. Its tail is as strong as a cedar. Whoa, 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 whoa. As strong as a cedar. The Bible verse says the tail moveth like a cedar. And it's talking about a little eastern cedar, which is a very wispy tree that blows very easily in the wind. It is not like the American cedar that most Christians will probably be thinking of. A very, an American cedar is a very stout tree, but a Middle Eastern cedar is not. And it, the Middle Eastern cedar looks exactly like an elephant's tail, just upside down, and it blows in the wind. So that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about something as strong as a cedar. I would also like to... But I was gonna say, I'd also like to add right now that that very first um, sentence he used, it eats grass. Now, I want you all to take a look at the picture that um, the pastor presented for the Brachiosaurus, as he calls it. And I want you to think if an animal that tall is eating grass. Yeah. And if you have any, any doubts about that, I here's yeah. a picture. I was a little bit prepared. Here's a picture of its teeth. <laughs> You'll see a lot of space there. Now, animals that eat grass tend to yep. not have a lot of space in their teeth so this is a horse there's say. grass is a hard thing to eat and that animal was definitely not eating grass that's right no. so right right there they're already wrong not only that but there was no grass when the brachiosaurus lived it hadn't evolved yet right. and they uh, had ferns yeah they uh, the only kinds of plants are non-flowering plants in the late jurassic when he lived and they would have probably eaten conifers, and those the crummy little pencil-like teeth probably good for scraping needles off of conifers, which was the largest trees they had back then. But, of course, he has all the biology wrong in this case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, and continuing. Eyes are knit tightly together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. And then this next verse helps us understand that God created and caused this same animal to go extinct. Hold on. It, he said that it, uh, that the, the bones are made of bronze and iron. Obviously, yeah. that wouldn't apply to a dinosaur either, since dinosaurs were not made of bronze or iron. But he, he's still right. misreading it because it says that it, that passage that he's talking about says that they are like bronze, whereas strong as or you know that that kind of implication. He says it is, prime, it is a prime example of God's handiwork, and only its creator can threaten it. This is God's way of saying, "I brought you in this world. I'll take you out." It could also mean that it could also mean that elephants were already regarded as being highly intelligent. They are one of the most intelligent animals on the planet. Everything yeah. that he reads here, he shows the picture of the brachiosaur. He wants you to get that impression. But he, if he showed an elephant, people would be like, "Oh, well, of course, yes, that's exactly what that is." And it 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 is more chief in the eyes of God because it has the social structure and it is so intelligent and so forth. And it can be communicated with and so on, like these. I'm sorry. Yeah. What? Like the like the elephants on my own screen share at the moment. Okay. <laughs> it gets would, better in a minute. Just give yeah. them a minute. All right. I, I would also like to point out one more thing about the the bones made of bronze. Yeah. Um, dinosaurs have these. Um, their bones have a lot of like um, air sacs. It's called pneumatism. So they have a lot of extra space for them. I believe it's with their respiratory system. And so um, these bones aren't going to be probably quite as solid if they weren't um, mineralized as something like an elephant, where you're going to be incredibly, you know, solid. A lot of these are animals are filled with like different spaces for air sacs and stuff. So yeah, even that is just yeah. I don't know if that's as true for the sauropods as it is for the theropods. No, no, the sauropods are full of air sacs all up and down their backbone. Yep. Are they? Presumably, yep. else are in their body. Oh, all right. Outstanding. I'm continuing. 
all the wild animals play. It lies under the lotus plants, hidden by the reeds in the marsh. The lotus plants give it shade among the willows beside the stream. Hold on. The Brachiosaurus hides under these plants to give it shade? Um, it's, hidden, it's hidden in the reeds. The guy says it himself. Hiding in the reeds. The Brachiosaurus. Brachiosaurus are alive. I guess we had giant, giant plants. Those are some big damn reeds. Exactly. If they're normal reeds, they're flowering plants, and they hadn't evolved in the Jurassic yet. So, okay. All right, we are one third of the way through this thing. Oh, jeez. Continuing. It is not disturbed by the raging river. Not concerned when the swelling Jordan rushes around it. No one can catch it off guard or put a ring in its nose and lead it away. And in Job 41 and 42, it talks about um, not only the behemoth, but the Leviathan, which is, the, of course, the, the dinosaur that we believe uh, was in the water. that, that You mean the, the crocodile. So, so we know the behemoth, what, we'll just put a picture of what we think a behemoth was, was which basically was a Barachios, Barachiosaurus. A Barachiosaurus Obama. As you see. <laughs> I can't believe you can't say Barachiosaurus. After Jurassic Park 1, every kid can say Barachiosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to mute myself. I'm laughing too much. Yes, but many scientists who are also people of faith that put their their Bible study and their science together think this comes together very well. And I tend to believe this too after studying the Bible for multiple decades. That I believe that if you say, "Well, how did dinosaurs go extinct?" Again, I, I can't say this verse says it. Um, it says in Job that they that God could threaten that God is the only one that can take him out. So I believe God did because we don't see him anymore. Having said that, I believe that the simplest way to explain that dinosaurs would no longer exist is this: there's no reference to dinosaurs being loaded on that ark. Okay, hold on, hold on. He is gonna, <laughs> give me give me a second here, guys. He is really going to piss off Ken Ham here with this one because look yeah. look at what Ken Ham says. People were riding dinosaurs after. They got off the ark. Yep. So yep. Uh, Ken yeah. Ham teaches that. So, And he also has baby dinosaurs on his ark in, in the ark encounter. So, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, it's so it's amazing how they can be so opposite. Some of them can say one thing and other people can say something totally different. And yet, you know, and people just go along with it. So, And there's, yeah, there's a third thread here, which is a whole bunch of creationists who are dinosaur deniers who claim dinosaurs are fakes. Did not exist, and they're they're put in their car by paleontologists to make us rich and to uh, destroy our faith. So where is my money? Yeah, so much money off of carving dinosaurs. I tell you. <laughs> I'd also I'd also like to point out just wouldn't wouldn't dinosaurs be animals? And wasn't in that story wasn't Noah supposed to take two of all of the animals? Well, it's on God there because <laughs> God was two of all the kinds. To, God was going to bring every. Uh, God was going to call forth all of these animals, and it was going to be on God that all of the animals came forth. So if the dinosaurs weren't on the ark, that's God's fault. That's God's fuck up. And the Bible said God would provide those. This guy can't even get his own book right, so it's not surprising that he can't get the science right. Yeah, right. You, you read one book for what? decades, and you still can't get it right. Right. <laughs> and was it two or was it seven? Come on. Yeah, that's right. That's because there's two different sources for that story. They are not consistent. All right, continuing. And there's also evidence where we have found dinosaurs in the strata of the earth, and it was obvious that they didn't they weren't torn apart by another dinosaur or another animal or another hunter because you see them all pieced together. In fact, well, I don't know if that's true anywhere. Um <laughs> 
There well, are you know about it? Yeah. <laughs> he said, he said, we do this. So the pastor is obviously involved in the science and you paleo people obviously are out of the loop somehow. Yeah, that's right. I imagine how many he's found. The, the big problem is lots of dinosaurs show evidence of being eaten by other dinosaurs, mm-hmm. two yeah. parts, all sorts of things. And most dinosaurs are incomplete. They're usually not found complete like he implies. But even so in your rare case, even in the rare case where you do get something complete, isn't it something that was that was that was buried in a landfill or 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 drowned or were overcome by a tsunami or or something like that where it's all packed into the mud and buried in quick? It's presumed. It's hard to know that, but yeah, the sediments seem to yeah. suggest that usually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Continuing. Rapid movement when they died. So that's interesting. It sounds to me like someone was in a cave and they were in rapid movement trying to escape when the sludge of mud that comes with storms and comes with uh, hurricanes and comes with massive flooding probably encased them and destroyed them. That's why you have I don't know where you got that one from. The cave stuff is not even relevant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this is all about make-believe, and he's, he's paid to make people believe. He doesn't have to be accurate and doesn't want to be accurate. Yeah. I keep thinking of the predator traps. That's the only thing I can think of where you get like really pristine whole fossil specimens on a consistent basis. Okay. Continuing. That the biblical flood of Genesis seven and eight is what destroyed the dinosaurs ultimately. Now, Genesis six. What verse is it? I don't have a verse on that. I'm sorry, what? It's Genesis six. He's in the wrong, wrong chapter. What do you want him to? What do you want him to? Only spent decades. He doesn't know his Bible apparently either. Why? I mean, why are all these atheists criticizing the Bible scholar on his knowledge of his own fables? Yeah, because he, he, he doesn't person. know his book. <laughs> this is why I keep telling people that that that, that, that we the reason that we are atheists or is because we know both sides of this argument better than you know your own alone. Yeah, and I can read it in the Hebrew and the Greek, so I can do it way better than they can. <laughs> That's just impressive. It, it is. It is. I'm. I, I'm, I'm I learned that back in high school and college for a reason. So, very good. Wow. Continuing. That is something I'm building uh, through the obvious evidence of dinosaurs that were intact. We have actually there's multiple places around the world you can go and see the intact bones of dinosaurs, which t- says they weren't torn apart. They were. They were killed in an instant, and there was layers of over them, and those layers happened rapidly. That sounds like a flood. If you don't know, nope. no. Nope. Yes, what do you have? Maybe three or four really good articulated dinosaur skeletons known that were found that way, and they were in local flood events, and 99% of dinosaurs are known from scraps. And in some cases, we also have a pretty profound flood events, like from a comet impact, for example. All right. So you have pretty profound tsunami, so that kind of thing can happen. But let's imagine for a moment that we have this God that created all these animals, and then how long did they last, right? Because this guy, I suspect, if we're going to get there, he's a young Earth creationist. He wants to challenge what he thinks, you know, radiocarbon dating or whatever. So God, in his infinite efficiency, creates a whole bunch of animals that he doesn't need and then kills them all almost immediately. Yeah. Along with all the human race, he was mad at in those flood too. So, yeah, because he doesn't know how to do that. Because God sees God is infallible and he's all knowing and he sees the future, and that's why he gets remorseful about the mistake he made and wants to to wipe the slate clean and start over again. Because obviously that was the mistake the infallible being made. 
Yeah. And then people went right back to sinning, but he knew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Continuing. The home in Rockport last year, and you'll discover it. The rapid layering of dirt that entered your home and garage from a flood. And so that's essentially what I believe happened at this point. More on those layers in the moment, but that's what I believe uh, probably happened. There's, there's tar pits in California, the La Brea tar pits. You can go see some of this for yourself if you'd like. Um, there's, there's what does the La Brea tar pits in California Nothing. do with what he's talking about? Exactly the opposite, right? There's no connection at all. It's not sedimentary in the sense he's talking about. It's a rare case of this tar percolating through sediments that he would say came from the Great Flood. All right. And they're trapped in a churning mass of tar. There's no connection. All right. Continue. Like your teacher, Daniel. Oh, thank you. This is, so that's what I believe happened. So real quick, I want to talk about another question people oftentimes say. Well, I don't believe the Bible because, and this is a famous one people use a lot, because the Bible speaks of the earth being young and everybody knows the earth there is you young years old. This is a common thing you'll, you'll hear people say. Everyone ever heard anybody say something like this? They'll say, I don't believe the Bible because it speaks of the earth being only 6,000 years old. It implies that, which is about. Actually, the Bible doesn't say that at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a crazed old monk who did very poor math. Oh, I love that expression you got him in. <laughs> <laughs> He's making his best Barachiosaurus face. <laughs> so we so had somebody that, that counted up the, the begats, essentially. Yeah. Archbishop James Usher is the name, yes. Yeah, and he comes up with the scholars of his generation. Yes, he comes up with the earth that the earth is uh, was created in four thousand and four BC, and then some other scholar comes up with that the the earth was created at nine o'clock on a Monday morning. Yeah, that scholar is John Lightfoot. Yeah, (laughs) what a name! So I don't know how they come up with that, but in, in by the same mathematics, they have Noah's flood in like fourteen fifty BCE. Which yes. how the fuck can that be? Well, that, but that's that's not something that Pastor Bill or or Ken Ham or anybody else wants to address, because it's no. the same mathematics that gets you to that six thousand year old Earth, and also yeah. fucks up the, where it puts puts the flood in top of other people's history where we know that didn't happen. Yeah, Aaron, well, since you haven't seen this yet, I want you to just relax and take a deep breath for what he's about to say. Okay, because if not, you're just going to go ballistic. I mean, I, 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 it has to do with dating methods, and I'm just going to give you that. I, I will let you paleo people do the next interruption. I'm not going to say anything, and you say until you guys say, Well, 10,000 somewhere in between there, and they'll say, But we know, I love how they always use the no, we know, we don't want to shout without. I'm always going to say, So, were you here 350 million years ago and say the earth began to make sure it all happened like that? Were you? You just, how do you know this? Well, because my science book said so. What if they didn't know, but they wrote about it anyways? So what if the the, the, the ignorant sheep shaggers who made up your fairy tale, what if they didn't know? Because they obviously didn't. They thought that rabbits chew cud. They thought that if, you, if, if cows had sex while looking at striped sticks, they would produce striped cows. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They thought there was a phone with windows in it. They don't know. It, it's actually about to get worse. <laughs> okay, go All ahead. Right, this is why I love you. <laughs> okay, continuing. <laughs> What if all of it was kind of made up? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Change your career and get an education. Well, we know that it's old because of 
carbon dating is what they typically refer to. Gentlemen, um, yeah. we, we know the Earth is 350 million years old. He keeps talking about we think the Earth is 350 million years old because of carbon dating. No. <laughs> Wrong no. in every part. <laughs> I should have listened to Bill. I should have taken the deep <laughs> I'm going to do that now. I'm going to bite my tongue and see how far I can get. Okay. Carbon dating is how they try to add, val add the value of time to the layers of the earth. And no, that's not how we do it. Uh -huh. I'm sorry? Carbon dating is only good for the last 40, 60,000 years, so we don't use yep. it for dating older events. And they don't know the difference, of course. Yeah, I have yeah. a whole list of the different isotopes that are commonly used for radiometric dating right here in my LIDA science book. Yeah, I put one <laughs> in one of my books. So, oh, what do they know? <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, Dr. Prothrow, I have your book right here. Oh, thank you. That I was That's using for references. Yes. Okay, it's a little, good. It's That's a little older. Edition, too. Yeah. Right. Clearly, clearly, this guy knows more about carbon dating than all of us because it's not like. I don't know. It's not like I'm actually doing it for my current thesis work or anything. I wouldn't know anything about the topic at all. Yeah, you and I are going to talk later because I got another guy I, I need I need some help with. Anyway, Ooh. continuing. Flex level, it doesn't. In other words, getting larger dates, it doesn't help at all. And so how do we know that the Earth is old versus the Earth being not that old? Well, I believe carbon dating is wrong. In fact, there's lots of evidence of this. There's a whole study of this. If you look up rate, R-A-T-E, rate scientists, there's a whole group of scientists that studied the rate of the aging of the Earth, discovered age, and what they found was quite shocking. In fact, look what it says in the Antarctic Journal. This is from 1971. That's how long this has been in debate, by the way. A freshly killed seal was carbon dated as having died 1,300 years ago. Oh, well, that's a common thing. That oh. anytime you're dealing with things that are close to dead carbon sources, especially the usually it's a, it's a, a living shell. The uh, first time I heard a fossil seal, which is why it makes me not trust that it's uh, accurately quoted. No, that one is out there. We went through that in my deba debate with Hoven. So, but oh, really, another okay. thing, yeah, another it's, thing it's is taking in some kind of dead carbon source. You can't you can't date anything that hasn't been dead for at least a hundred years. You don't have right. enough rate of decay there in order to do that. So if you're going to yeah. date something that just died, especially marine animals, you're going to get false readings, and right. we know that. So that's why we don't do it. Yeah. Also, rate scientists are literally the first research that you pull up if you type in rate scientists comes from the Institution of Creation Research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Continuing. So a seal died, and the next day they carbon dated it, and the dating said it was 1,300 years old. Now, obviously, it's not 1,300 years old. It's one day old. So if you can be off by 1,300 years, do we really want to trust that scale? If you get on a scale and it says you weigh 115 today, which many ladies would say, I'd love that scale. I would never get rid of that scale. I would keep that scale forever. But if you got on the scale and it weighed you at 115, but then the next day it weighed you at 250. Then the next day it weighed you at 185. Then the third day or, or fourth day it weighed you at 450. <laughs> at some point you say, okay, this is just this just doesn't work. There's there's no basis to this. The numbers are just too far off. If a, if an accountant came to you with wrong numbers over and over and over again, wouldn't you finally say, I need to fire this accountant? I can't trust the data. I got I gotta cut in. 
yep. just because you're too fucking stupid to know how to step on the scale doesn't mean the fucking scale doesn't work. <laughs> okay, so how do we cross-confirm or how do we collaborate our data? The, the, the basic idea is that we have multiple different independent radiometric systems, not carbon dating because that's not going to be much use to any of these systems that we're talking about here. They're too young. But if you do things like potassium argon, rubidium strontium, and uranium lead on the same specimen, you get the same answer from three systems that are completely independent. And that would not happen unless they are working. And uh, my good friend uh, Brent Dalrymple, who's the expert on, on potassium argon, uh, put it this way. Imagine you go into a clock shop and there's one or two clocks that don't work right. And you say, therefore, no clock can be trusted, right? There are always a few things that aren't going to be perfect in any natural system, but it doesn't mean you throw out every clock because two or three of them disagree with the overall consensus of all the rest of the clocks. And that's exactly how their they're Manichaean black or white view, if anything doesn't work perfectly, the whole system is thrown out. And that's and how they think. How would you know if those two or three clocks don't work? It's because all of the other ones tell you that they're wrong. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's the way to think about it. As a person who has stepped on a scale that funky, I finally figured out there was a dial on the back of it that like readjusted everything correctly. I'm going to look for that because it's because mine says that I weigh more than than uh, Donald Trump, and I don't know how that's possible. Now, of course, um, Donald Trump is not accurately weighed to begin with, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, continuing. Over and over again, carbon dating has been proven off. Way off to the tune of millions of years off. Well, that doesn't go millions of years, and that's wrong to begin with. <laughs> okay, continuing on dating the strata of the earth. You ever seen the picture that they show you in textbooks where they have like the layers of the earth, right? And they go all the way down to its core, and they got different colors. And they, they have like this age and then that age, and they give you on know, this millions of years ago and this millions of years. You know what that picture represents? It represents a picture. You mean this one? There's no way to really know that. Yeah, there is a way to know that. You can see it in places like the Grand Canyon and Zion and Bryce. So all that sequence is actually in stacked up as real sequence. I was talking about the geologic column, but you know the geologic column is a collection of data. We don't have to have it exist all in one place. That's I mean, right. where where it starts in one place and ends, it picks up in another place, and and, right. and you know it is a collection of data. No one claims that it needs to be existing all in one place for it to be useful. And yeah, it, actually does, it actually does exist all in one place in over a dozen different places. That's right. The Grand Canyon is one of them. Yeah. Yep. Well, you, you've got you've got a, a number sure. of strata that are missing from the Grand yeah, Canyon. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple of unconformities that cap, take out a few of them, but overall, if it's you, pretty complete. If but you there, want. There are, if I remember correctly, there are 17 different locations where if you drill a core sample, you right. can get the entire sequence. That's right. Well, you don't get local layers like you see in yeah. certain other areas, but you might be able to get almost, you know, four billion years worth or, you know, three three billion years worth or something. So, yeah. 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 Continuing. He's, he's, he's cartoon. He's attacking a cartoon is what he's doing. So, yeah. So that's an assumption they're building in. Guess why they assume it's so old? Because it has to be that old for evolution to work. Nope, 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 nope. nope. <laughs> the first people who created the time scale were 50 oh. years before Charles Darwin, and they were all religious men, and they rejected the idea of Noah's flood and the, the young earth without evolution at all. And why did they reject the idea of Noah's flood? 
because the empirical evidence suggested it was impossible. Now, people like uh, uh, like William Buckland, who was actually a reverend of the Anglican Church, who eventually rejected the entire Noah's Flood story because it did not fit what they knew of the Russell record, all of which was 30 or 40 years before Darwin's book came out. Gotcha. Continuing. But we just debunked evolution last week, so why do we still need an old earth? Wait, wait. <laughs> what? No, no, you fucking didn't, you idiot. Sorry. <laughs> just going to calm down and hit continue. Someone give Aaron a beer. I'm here. Oh, Patrick, are you saying there's no fossils? No, I think there's lots of fossils. I just don't think it takes a million years to get fossils. I think you get you can get fossils in 100 years. What? 200 years. There's lots of proof of that. No. Okay, paleo people, there's lots of proof that you can get fossils in 100 years. What kind of no. fossil? I no, work on tell me. I work on <laughs> stuff that's um about seventeen to forty-eight thousand years old, and um, calling those fossils is very, very generous. Right. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? At least we, we get 10, fucking collagen we... still. Mm-hmm. Now, how how long, uh, how old uh, fossil can you or how old a find can you still get DNA? Uh, the oldest uh, things that we have from Ice Age mammals that were freeze-dried and so relatively intact. Uh, most of them are not much older than about 30,000 years or younger, and they're mostly not re- recovering very good DNA from things like mammoths and horses. There's one example that may be older than that, but that's very, very, well, very rare. We do have um, ancient hominin DNA, not complete, but readable, you know, to some extent at 430,000 right. years ago, I think, right. with the Cima de los Huesos. And, and I think about 700,000 years old is the oldest we've found in, in you know, some sections of intact readable DNA. But but that's really rare. From what I've heard, the, the absolute upper limits no more. Like once you get to about a million years, there's yes. going to be nothing left. But and it varies, though. The half-life of DNA isn't like radiometric decay. It, right. it, it varies you know, based on temperature, environment, uh, moisture. And that's why the ones that we have found have been, uh, like with the hominin ones, we're in caves where the, the temperature stays relatively constant and the humidity, everything stays relatively constant. It was able to preserve that. So, Including okay. droppings. All right, continuing. We, don't have, we have this thing called fossil fuels, you know? I mean, South Texas runs on that. So we all know a lot about that. So we know there's aging. It's just, what if we found out that maybe what we thought was a million years old is 100 years old, 200 years, maybe 1,000 years old. Maybe maybe we're just off a bit. In fact, look what the research has shown. If, we, if we're off a bit, like to the point that New York, the distance between New York City to Los Angeles is 17 feet. Yeah. That's how many He's off. That's right. If the world worked the way he wanted it to, I would just go um, find a couple pigs, dump them in a hole in the backyard, and my grandkids would be rich because they'd be on top of oil. But it doesn't work that way. No one, no one does that. So, <laughs> empirical evidence. He's an idiot. There we go. They need to be lizards, though. It has to be dinosaurs that made the fossil fuels. It can't be anything else. Gotcha. And I thought it was mostly plants that made fossil fuels, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Fossil fuels are made by algae, not by dinosaurs. Okay. Okay, so I was wrong about that. All right, continuing. This is from A.A. A. Snelling in this article. No, no, no. Andrew fucking Snelling. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who, who accurately wrote uh, in his own dating procedure 
for uh, a number of rock formations in Australia and provided all the detail for how these were, how he came to these conclusions. But then also wrote at the same time, he published to what the, the organization that would become Answers to Genesis, blaming everything on a flood and with no justification at all other than his favorite book of fairy tales said so. Yeah. So yeah. sorry. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Another non-scientist in this story. Yep. <laughs> Continuing. <laughs> Fossil wood and ancient lava flows yield radiocarbon. This is from a technical journal called the Creation Nilo, Ex Nilo Technical Journal. That's not a technical <laughs> journal. That's a creationist rag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't get radiocarbon from lava flows under any circumstances. They don't have carbon in them. <laughs> Love the screen pause, by the way. Yeah. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> I'm not doing this on purpose. <laughs> right. It's perfect, though. I hope that somebody, somebody listening to that somebody that has actually been in the room and listened to Bill Cornelius, please send me a message or a, a comment on this video to tell me that you know. And even if you want to argue with me, as a matter of fact, I welcome anybody that wants to try to argue anything that that we say here. But, but but I do want to hear feedback, and I'm going to continue now. <laughs> By the way, we are about halfway through. <laughs>